Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and for business owners who want to know, hey, what works with social media? Very excited about today's show. Today, I'll be joined by Tom Martin. He's the author of a new book called The Invisible Sale, and we're going to talk about how businesses need to rethink the sales process in this social age. I'm also going to take a caller question on a similar topic. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and take that question right now. Fresh off the jungle trail, here's this week's social question. Hello, my name is Deborah Kearse, and I'm a professional artist creating paintings that invite you to look closer. You can see them on my website at debkart.com, D-E-B-K-A-R-T.com. My question is, as an artist, sometimes it'll take years between contacting potential collectors and receiving a commission or a purchase. Are there specific social media tools that can be used to help develop, encourage, and maintain these long-term relationships so that the leads do not go cold? And so that people will recommend you to their friends, even at times when they're not necessarily looking to buy themselves. Thank you for that question, uh, Deborah. It's a wonderful one. Uh, A couple thoughts that I have for you is, well, first of all, said another way, your question is, how in the world do I keep top of mind with prospects who are not ready to buy? That's kind of how I see it. And the first thing I would say is, be sure to listen to this podcast for some great ideas, because that is part of what we're going to be talking about today uh, in the interview with Tom Martin. Um, second thing is that I've seen this done in many other spaces. For example, um, I've had prospects who were trying to go after me. Well, not prospects, where I was the prospect. For example, in the voice talent space, um, we used to hire voice talent and some of the talent would send out quarterly email newsletters with interesting news relevant to the industry. Sometimes they would share their wins or the fact that they've got new equipment in their studio or some of their latest work. Things that you could do along that line are also maybe creating some videos, maybe a time-lapse video showcasing the process of how you go about painting. Maybe consider creating some educational pieces like how to buy art. And maybe there's some interesting events in the industry and perhaps just being a conduit to prospects saying, hey, Here's some interesting events you may want to check out. So if you kind of put yourself in the position less of the person who's trying to sell and more of the person who's trying to act as a resource to prospects, then that will, every time you communicate with them, you will kind of be top of mind with them. And when and if they are ready, they will likely go back to you. And if they're not ready, they might know someone who is. So it's about having regular touch points. Um, Someone who does this really good is my realtor. Uh, His name is Brent Humphreys. And what he does is he uses his personal Facebook page. And when he's out showing people houses that are not his listings, a lot of times he'll take pictures of things that he sees that are wrong. 
and he'll put them up on Facebook and they'll say, this is why you should never do this when you're listing your house. And these kind of educational moments that he posts up on his Facebook wall are a brilliant form of marketing because even though his friends on Facebook may not be thinking about a realtor today, chances are pretty good that because Brent is always posting this kind of information, when someone is looking to sell or buy a house, they're going to recommend Brent. So these are the kinds of things that I would recommend in addition to listening to the podcast for some more ideas. I hope you found that helpful. If you have a question that you would like to get answered on the Social Media Marketing Podcast, it's very easy. All you have to do is visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail. You leave a very simple message. And if we like your question, uh, we'll profile you on the show and in our blog post. With that, I want to share something else with you. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's expert interview with Tom Martin about how to sell in this social age. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined today by Tom Martin. If you don't know who Tom is, he's the author of a brand new book called The Invisible Sale, How to Build a Digitally Powered Marketing and Sales System to Better Prospect, Qualify, and Close Leads, and his agency is called Converse Digital. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. So Tom and I today are going to explore how to sell with social media. Tom, my first question for you is, how has the online world changed the way businesses sell? Well, you know, I don't really think it's so much changed the way businesses sell as it has uh, fundamentally altered how buyers buy. I think finally with uh, the internet, we can all do what we always wished we could do, which is, you know, nowadays people are hiding behind the anonymity of a Google search to do all of their pre-purchase research and they don't have to call a company or talk to a salesperson or anything like that. They can pretty much get themselves down to at least a short list and then, you know, at that point, some point they have to actually talk to a live person or, or maybe talk to a company to close the deal, but they can get a long way down that pipe before they ever have to talk to anybody, which I think just fundamentally the buyer likes better than the old way of as soon as you're in the market, you have to raise your hand, you're in someone's sales database, you're constantly getting pinged by salespeople. And it's just a, it's an easier, more efficient process for that buyer. Companies today just have to adjust to that. Well, you know, back in the day before um, I did any of this stuff, uh, I worked for a high tech company in Southern California. And um, the way it worked was the, the salespeople were the ones that had the knowledge and we were selling high-tech equipment. So basically, the prospects you know, would come and talk to us because they didn't understand how to do RAID systems or storage or whatever. And the unique differentiator of the sales team was they had all the expertise in-house to be able to educate um, prospects. And the prospect had to just basically rely on the knowledge that was given to them by the sales guy because the internet really wasn't real big back then. We're talking mid-90s. But that's really shifted right now hasn't it? Now really the, the, the power, if you will, is in the hands of the consumer, if I hear you saying properly, right? And they know sometimes a lot more than the salespeople do. You know, it's funny. I was just with a client um, last week and, and the head of sales made that exact same um, comment. He said, you know, I live in a world where quite often 
my buyer actually knows more than my salesperson because my salesperson knows my product in depth and really, really well. But the buyer, because they've done all their research, they know all the products in depth really, really well. And it was, an, it was a very interesting shift for him to sort of come to this realization that his world really can't, play, can't be played the way you used to play it back in, back in the early days when you were selling you know, raid systems and stuff. Absolutely. So, so today, the way business, if the consumer is buying differently today than the consumer did back in the day, well, doesn't it also mean that the way that we sell has to be maybe changed a little bit? And if so, what are some of the things that, that businesses ought to be rethinking about? Well, I always, the, the way I come at it is I always tell folks that you, you have to stop thinking about how you're going to sell because I don't really think you sell anymore. I think you really help buyers make a buying decision. Now, hopefully that decision's in your favor, but it won't always be that way. I mean, sometimes you're just not going to be the right solution for someone. And if your system is set up properly, if you're, if you're approaching this from the proper uh, point of view, trying to help somebody's education, help them make the right choice, you know, sometimes they're going to select outside. They're going to go to another, they're going to go to another uh, solution. But if you've got a really good product or service, more often than not, then you should win that conversion. And that's really, I think, what you have to do. I think the moment you start trying to sell people, they, you know, they, they just they shut it down. They shut it down. They stop searching. They stop paying attention to your content. And But as long as you will continue to educate them and, and, and come at it from a place where, hey, I'm really trying to help you make the right decision. I'm going to do that by pointing out all the good things about my product or service that I think help you. But at the end of the day, I'm really going to, I, I kind of have your best interest at heart. If you can come at it, I think you have to see it as a, as a, as sort of an all boats rise sort of situation that you may lose a few sales that in the old days you might've won, but overall you'll replace those and many more by just simply making more sales because more people will want to do business with you simply by, by the, the virtue of how you're approaching the process. Are there any um, um, businesses that you think are doing this well, whether they be known brands or small businesses that just seem to really get it, that you could kind of share a little bit about what they're doing and maybe what their success has been? Yeah, absolutely. There's one, I was really excited. There was one company when I started to write the book, I really wanted to use as a case study. And um, because it's a, it's a camera store in New York called Adorama. It's one camera store, one. It's a big camera store, but it's one. It does business in all 50 states and five countries, and it's killing it. And it has a B2C side of its business, and it has a B2B side of its business. And in both instances, regardless of which side you're looking at, they really come at it the same way. They really come at it from this philosophy of sharing originally produced educational content. Mm. What did That's you say how the, they sell. What did you say the name of the, of the company was? Adorama. A D O R A M A. Uh, it's a camera store in New York, and their their sort of really big content piece is called Adorama TV. Um, they are on iTunes. They have it on their own website, but they've built this whole learning center. And so they're you know they're a photography store. They sell more than just cameras, but they've got this entire learning center that if you want to learn how to educate yourself to shoot better photos, to shoot better video, to figure out what equipment to buy, etc., it is a treasure trove. Of educational content and they basically come at it and say look we are going to absolutely educate you and if during the process of this education you come across a product that you think wow I want to buy that they're gonna put the link to buy that really really close 
So if you're watching the video on the right-hand side, um, below the video will be easy links. They'll embed a video right in the YouTube stream itself, so you can one-click to get to that product. So you absolutely can buy something, but that's not what they do. They don't sell. They completely come at it from a pure education um, process, and, and they're killing it. They're, you can go back and look at their sales, their web traffic, you know, pick a KPI. And they started this in about 2010. In, in 8 and 9, they were kind of flat, kind of flat. And then in 2010, regardless of KPI, you see this nice general you know, growth curve that we all want to see for our companies, including sales. And it's, it's not all because of this, but it's very largely because of this work in this content education space. It's an absolute uh, – I ended up – I was going to put two or three companies' uh, case studies in that chapter. I ended up blowing away everything and just writing the whole chapter – all 18 pages about these guys because they are just so killing it. It's unbelievable. Well, you know, um, I, I had a built-in barbecue put into my backyard uh, maybe a year ago. So I started the process of researching. You know, I went into the barbecue stores and where I live, you know, and then I went online and started doing some research. And I came across a company that sold barbecues. And what was awesome about what they did was they actually had detailed videos about how the how the flames are, you know, pure and the hinges and the quality of the metal. And it was like, wow, too bad these guys don't sell in California, <laughs> you know, cause, <laughs> you know, cause they were killing it and they had all these incredible videos, you know, about how, how they did what they did, but they, they didn't have obviously the ability to, to sell these built in barbecues in the region that I was in. Cause they just didn't happen to be there, but it sounds like it's kind of the same thing. So what's the moral of the lesson here with, with using video and educational videos? Well, I think the moral of the lesson is that, you know, if you will, if you will make your buyer smarter, better, funnier, you know, whatever, if you will make your buyer better because they're doing business with you, I think you'll succeed in selling more things to that buyer because, I mean, we all want to be a champion. And so, and that's what they do. They just say, look, we'll make you a better photographer. And along the way, you're going to end up buying something from us, if not multiple somethings from us. But they and, don't, they don't say that explicitly. Long- they just know that's going to happen, right? Yeah. They just, you know, they just, they play for the long game. It's sort of, you know, it's like, you know, I tell people it's like fly fishing, you know? So when you go fly fishing, you don't expect to, to catch a fish every time you cast the line. In, you know, fly fishing is all about presenting the bait, you know, a little bit better each time with each cast, getting a little bit better, a little bit more concise, a little bit more targeted until eventually, boom, the fish hits the bait. Well, it's kind of the same thing in this modern content marketing. Every time you go to bat, you don't need to get a conversion, you know, but do get better at presenting that content bait to that buyer. Learn something every time you go out there. And over time, because you're really, truly trying to help people, you're going to really start to see what works. I'm sure, you know, granted, they wouldn't tell me this, but I'm sure that they can put a piece out there and they can have a pretty good idea how much they're going to sell associated with any one educational piece of content because, you know, they've got all the tracking built in. And they probably do a good job of putting content. I'm sure they favor content that sells more than content that sells less. And that's fine with me. I just want the free, I just want the free content. I want the education. Make me a better photographer. And you know what? Even if you don't uh, buy from them, you might end up telling a friend about it who might end up buying, right? Well, yeah, and that to, you know, I call that a social agent. <coughs> Excuse me. I call that a social agent, which you know, a lot of times social agents 
can be your most valuable customer that never does business with you. They never buy a thing from you, but they tell everyone else to buy things from you. And so in the, in the, in the you know, rolled up net, they actually are the best customer you'll ever have. So how, okay, let's, let's explore the social agent thing a little bit. So how does someone essentially, um, a, um, draw social agents to them and how do they even know who their social agents are? I think in terms of the drawing of the social agents, um, I think you draw them, you know, you're trying to draw them basically through that education piece. Social agents, if they're, if, if they're forming a relationship with your brand or your company, it's because they have, um, you know, a lot of value. Uh, that they associate with what you're doing. So take Adorama, for instance. I've never actually bought anything from those guys. I consume their, their podcasts. I, consume, I watch their, their videos. I tell, but I tell everybody and their dog, now I just wrote them into a book, that they should go and follow these guys and check out their, their content if they want to become better photographers. And you know, from there, it's a numbers game. I know that a bunch of people will probably you know, buy stuff. I just don't buy you know, I'm not a core photographer guy who's buying lots of photography equipment repeatedly. I've got my camera. I've got a lens here and there. Um, but I am a huge social agent for them. I've told more people about that podcast. And I've pushed more of my friends who are like me. They're just, you know, amateur photographers. We take pictures of our kids at the ball games and such. I've told more people about that. Even though as of yet to date, I've never done business with them. Well, you know, Tom, we have this exact same experience at Social Media Examiner. I mean, I, I like how you <laughs> put a term on it because um we have a lot of social agents that just love you know our our blog and they tell other friends about it and they share it on every social network that's out there and frankly we would not be as successful today without them and i guess the real take-home message here is you want to empower everyone to be a social agent don't you you want to make it easy for them to to let their friends know about it i think yeah absolutely and you know in, in certain things you know, like for instance, y'all, you know, you've got your conferences and different things that you do. Um, there are going to be people who, you know, they may love your conference. They may want to go to your conference so bad it's not even funny, but their boss just won't write the check. You know, they can't get permission or they just can't afford it for whatever reason. So they may never attend a social media examiner conference, but they will tell a thousand people every year to go. That's great. That's a, I'll take that customer 10 out of 10 days. That's awesome. Okay, so in your book, The Invisible Sale, um, you reveal a process that helps folks sell without having to do the traditional advertising and the cold calls. Can you kind of um, lay out a little bit about what is the process? Sure. Uh, we call it painless prospecting. And the, um, the concept is, is sort of a spin on inbound marketing. Core differential is that most content and inbound strategies really leverage search, keyword optimization, winning the Google battle, et cetera. Um, the way we come at it is, is only so many people can win that battle on any given day for any given term. And as more and more people discover keyword uh, optimization and SEO strategies and deploy it, it's going to get even more and more competitive and more and more difficult. So with painless prospecting, it's all built on this concept of propinquity. And propinquity is a scientific theory that, that, under, that really powers the formation of relationships. And it basically says that if you, if you run into me a lot, if you bump into me a lot, 
the higher the propensity for you to, to touch me or to read my content or, or meet me, the more likely you will end up liking me, pr- provided that you like what you bump into each time. So our painless prospecting philosophy is um, you know, we don't walk away from SEO, but what we really talk more about is get off your blog and think and care a whole lot more about putting really great content on other people's blogs. In other words, treat everybody's blog like it's yours. Mm. By putting that content in these places, what we, which we call propinquity points, and you're strategic about this. So, you know, if I do, if I go and do my analysis, and I see, wow, Social Media Examiner is a really target-rich environment for what I sell, then I'm going to come and say, hey, can I guest post at SME, or can I be on the podcast, or can I? Do? I'm going to look to try to put content on your platform because. People are going to find it on your platform, and then if I built it correctly, they'll backlink down through to my platform. Or if they see it on enough platforms like yours, pretty soon it's like, man, we see these Converse Digital people everywhere, this Tom Martin guy everywhere, and he really stands for you know how to do better B2B marketing. And so when they need better B2B marketing – they're going to think, Tom Arna, you're, you, you, you know, I grew up in the advertising business. We always wanted top of mind awareness. Well, what you're trying to do under this process is build top of mind preference so that you really are the person that, boy, I really like what this guy writes. I really like what this company stands for. So that when they're ready to do that business, you know, they're coming in. They may be consuming most of your content on somebody else's platforms, which I'm fine with. So Tom, let's I'm sure some people listening right now are like, hmm, intriguing. How in the world do I find out um, where those places are that I should be providing content? Well, th- we take people through a, and the book does this. It, you know, and the book's very how-to. And so it, it really lays out the process. There's a whole chapter on building a painless prospecting platform and, and systematically it takes you through it. But you know, just for the purposes of time, I'll sort of hit the high points. Um, first and foremost, if you're paying attention to your industry or your prospects industry, you can usually sit down. I can hand somebody a piece of paper and say, write down all the places that your prospective customer congregates online, offline. Hmm. What websites are they in? What magazines do they read? What conferences do they attend? What trade shows do they go to? What podcasts might they listen to? And if you're paying attention to your industry, you ought to be able to knock out seven to ten without even thinking. That's your first list. Gotcha. From there, a really effective use of social listening software, the Radians and Sysmoses of the world, is to go and create a list of all the people online that, that represent a, a, a prospect list for you and just listen to everything that they share. And what you're really listening for is you're looking for the links that they share and you're tallying where does that link come from. Is it a Mashable? Is it an SME? Is it a copy blogger? Is it a Wall Street Journal? And what you're doing is you're over time, you're tallying these. And what the theory that I have is, is if those, you know, let's say the top five links that get shared over a three-month period are, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, SME, copy blogger, and, you know, Converse Digital's blog. Well, if those are the top five most shared destinations then those might possibly represent very good propinquity points for you. Because obviously your audience is on those destinations reading. 
They think enough of the content to share it, which means they value it. And by virtue of sharing it, they are creating virality to the content. So those are five places I might want to try to appear, either with my own custom content or in the case of like a, a Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I want to make sure that the, that the, the reporters who are writing the kinds of stories that get shared – Maybe they're small business-oriented stories. I want to make sure they know who I am and that I'm a good source to be put into their stories. And so by doing that, I'm just creating more and more opportunities for people to stumble across me or my brand and get a good positive impression. Because what the propinquity theory that they, that they did up at MIT says is that if I can do that enough, I will accelerate that person through the relationship development process where they will move from aware to know to like to I want to buy from this guy. Tom, and what- that's basically it. What do you say to the person who's listening right now who says, look, I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to put my energy into my own blog and I, and I, I just don't see the value. I'm sure you've come across these kind of people in, in your discussions. What do, you, what do you want to say to someone listening right now that might be thinking, you know, gosh, if I'm going to blog, it's going to be for my own blog. What do you want to say to them? I really hope to hell you understand SEO and keyword optimization and you kill it and own the first two pages of Google because increasingly – you're not going to get found. The other thing I would say to that person is that is awesome and great when your buyer is in active research mode because that's the only time keyword optimization works. What this process does by getting off your blog, by getting out into other people's blogs and basically treating them like your own, is it allows the buyer who's not in active research mode to stumble across you and to just trip over you and find you and read your stuff and go, Wow, that is really flipping smart. Uh-huh. Maybe they link through, maybe they sign up for your blog and come read it, maybe they don't. But then the next time they see you and the next time. So I, you know, I, I, I think it's an easier war to win to find 20 spaces in the online world who will let me publish my content on their platform, provided it's good stuff, and will let me link that, pl- that stuff back to my platform. And I think I will cast a wider more target-rich, more strategically focused prospecting net in that direction than I will simply by building my, my own castle and praying that when people are searching, I win the SEO war. And, you know, as a publisher, let me just speak to anyone who's listening right now and reiterate that what Tom is saying is true. Well, um, before I started Social Media Examiner, I, was, uh, I had my own blog, but I also guest blogged for Brian Clark's copy blogger. And I got to tell you... Um, I did my best work for his blog, not for my own. Oh, and I, oh, I, totally, I totally agree. And I, I, I spent more time writing the first blog post that I wrote for a copy blogger than any post I've ever written on my own. And, you know, why is that? Because, A, his audience is about a kabillion times bigger than mine. And you only get one shot to make a first impression. I wanted, I wanted copy blogger to say, wow, Tom Martin takes time to write good content for us. Because then what's going to happen? They're going to let Tom Martin write more often. They might even invite Tom to come write and say, look, man, every time you write for us, it's really good stuff. People like it. They share it. So there's real value. But, you know, the other side of that, which I would say back to that person who wants to do their own stuff, um, you know, go look, go do this. Just go pick four or five places and write your content and try to stage it so that those four or five posts go up within, say, a two-week period of one another. And then open Google Analytics and watch what happens. Okay, so – drive way more traffic back to your site. So, so really, I mean, I've seen this happen, and I'm sure everybody listening, if they're really intellectually honest with themselves, they probably have these latent things in the back of their head that they want to do that they've never gotten around to. And then all of a sudden, they see someone write about it, and you're like, ah, oh, 
okay, that's the person. Clearly this person knows what he or she's talking about. I'm going to reach out. I've done this a lot and I think it works. And I think, you know, that's kind of what I hear you saying here is that um, there are a lot of publications that have massively bigger platforms than, than you might have. And um, they're all struggling for great content. They all want really good content. And frankly, there is a limited supply of really good content. I guess the key to all this, Tom, is you have to have, you have to be a great deliverer of, of quality content because the garbage is just never going to get published. Absolutely. It's, you know, I, I, the, you know, I was, um, I was at inbound last week and someone asked a similar question. And I, my answer to them is I think everybody's blog is my blog. That's the way I look at it. And that means I you put your, your best into it, right? Yeah, I'm going to put my best foot forward and I'm going to write for your blog just like it's my blog. And I'm going to believe that in doing so, you're going to give me more shots. You're going to give me more at bats. You're going to, you're going to publish my stuff more often than someone else's. You've got a way bigger audience than I do. Um, and, and each time I write for you, a few people are going to come over and check out my stuff at my own blog and they're going to go, that's cool. And then a, and a few of them are going to check it out and they're going to sign up and register to start getting my blog. Cause I really like with this guy, I want to see his stuff a little bit more often. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick up and it's a funneling effect, you know, for every 100 people that read it on your blog, you know, three, four, five might sign up for mine. So that's five new relationships that I've made. And I can touch that person 52 times a year. And that's how you really start to build propinquity, you know, at, at a blog base. But I am just, you know, I am totally convinced that the, the way to win today is to get out there and, and really treat yourself like a media empire and really make sure your content is appearing all the places where your prospect is looking because it's going to give you more at bats, but it also kind of has this effect, especially if you're in the knowledge space, you know, you and I are in the knowledge space. All of a sudden people see your stuff everywhere they look. It starts to have this cumulative effect of this person must really know what the hell they're talking about. Cause everywhere I look, I see their stuff. Everyone's having them write for them. And so they must be really smart. They must really know what they're talking about. And I think in certain industries that really can start to amplify the effect even more. Okay, so let's let's break down the word invisible in your title of your book, The Invisible Sale. What, what, tell me what's the invisible component to all this? Well, the invisible component is the buyer. You know, until they down, you know, unless they, if you're make, if you start searching for a social media consultant at Google, you're going to start going to people's websites. You're going to start reading stuff. None of the social media consultants in the world see you. You're completely invisible. You're an anonymous, you know, search. Um, until at which point you can get that person to identify themselves. Maybe they download a white paper or an ebook or something on your website, and now you've got an email address, or they subscribe to your blog or something. Now you've got an email. It's a piece of readily identifiable information. That person now becomes visible. You know, if you're using like a HubSpot or Marketo or Eloquent or one of the big name pieces of software, then that's you can from there start to build a dossier on the person, which it gets really sexy and fun at that point. But the main piece is that you know, that buyer, your prospective buyer is invisible until they raise their electronic hand and tell you, I'm looking at you. And at that point, now they're visible. You know, they're there. You can start to learn a little something about them. And at that point, that's really, to me, where your buying process begins these days, or I should say your selling process begins. Clearly content marketing is a key component to the success here. Um, What are some of the mistakes that 
people seem, seem to be making over and over again when it comes to using content and, um, you know, in the relationship to ultimately trying to get a sale? What's some of your wisdom you might want to share with folks? I think there's two things. Number one, I think fundamentally most people produce content at the wrong level. Uh, when you talk to people about content, they'll talk to you about their blog post or their podcast. They, they talk to you about a single unit of content, and, and, and that's what kills them. That's why they, they look at this propinquity approach and they freak out because they think, you know, I can barely write my one blog post a week or two blog posts a week. I don't have time to write for all these other people. I think you have to think about content creation as an ecosystem that, you know, you should never create any one piece of content once. You should always be looking for ways to repurpose it or even rechannel it, meaning um, you know, one of the cool things about podcasts is you could take this entire thing, this file, send it off, have it transcribed into text, and it could be a blog post, or you could copy and paste pieces out of it to go with other interviews, turn it into an ebook. So you're, you're, you're doing a little bit more work to create a whole lot more content. I think that's number one. Number two thing I would say is that I think there's this, um, this, this belief that, that especially amongst inbounders, that every piece of content needs to have a call to action. You know, that you really got to be called action centric. And, and I don't know that I completely believe that. I know why people say that. And I've seen the research. And obviously, the more you put your call to actions out there, you're probably going to get more conversions and so forth. But I think there's still value to just pure education, just going out there and, and educating your buyer and, and not asking for something in return not, or not even expecting anything in return in the form of some sort of a, you know, a call to action click or a registration or sign up or download. Um, and I think that's what makes sometimes people, you know, instead of producing something that's really good and valuable, they end up producing something that's okay. And if I really want the good stuff, I got to click. And I think that's going to start to wear on people. I think that's going to cause a backlash of people going, you know, these content guys, they give you a little, but if you want the real good, you got to click, you got to raise your hand, you got to give an email address and people are going to tire of that. Well, I think they already have. I mean, this has been our unique differentiator at Social Media Examiner. I mean, from the day we founded four years ago, we decided to go um, with deep content, you know, thousand to 2000 word articles that revealed everything. (laughs) And our call to action was, you want our next article? Just we'll email it to you. So instead of instead of the call to action typically being, hey, you know, we're great and um, we can help your company, which we don't do anyways. But, you know, that's your typical call to action. You know, um, I, I think if you rethink the call to action and just give them the opportunity to get more content um, that's free, then that really falls in line with your propinquity effect. Right. Because the idea is if you can get them to feed from your trough and you just keep giving them value, 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 and hardly ever ask anything in return, that's really when things take off. Am I hearing you right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think buyers know how to buy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think most people, I have a lot of confidence that anybody in the world who decides they want to do business with me or you or any other company, if you make a decision you want to do business with a company, I'm very confident in your ability, without me even teeing you up with a call to action, to go out and actually figure out how to start that process. How can you contact me via phone or email so that you can get this buy process started? Sounds like we've got some excited people in the background ready to buy. (laughs) I know. They're just like cheering back there. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Tom, um, okay, well, first of all, thank you so much for, um, you know, enlightening us on 
the way things are changing because they really are changing. I mean, the fact is that uh, the old ways of selling just don't work anymore. And the fact is that people really want knowledge and they're smart and you may as well give it to them is what I hear you saying. Um, sounds like the topics in your book are awesome. Can you tell folks where they can pick up a copy of your book and where they can learn more about you? They can learn more about me, the book, and get a copy at theinvisiblesale.com. And, uh, you know, they, it'll be out uh, on shelves uh, probably the week of October 7, um, but it's open for pre-sale now. Tom, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule today um, for sharing a lot of your insight with us. I know for me it was awesome. Great. I, I can't thank you enough for inviting me to come along. Big fan of the show and to get to come on it, it's pretty awesome. Well, I hope you got a lot of good ideas from that interview with Tom. Uh, I know there's a lot of rethinking that many of us have to do when it comes to the sales process, given how everything has really changed quite a bit as a result of online marketing and social media in particular. Be sure to check out the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 58. If there's any resources or anything that we mentioned in the podcast that you missed, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 58 is where you can go to see detailed information from the podcast and of course, leave your comments. Another thing I want to ask is if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you happen to be uh, someone who listens on an Apple device, I would love it if you would consider giving us a rating or a review. Uh, The easiest way to do that is to visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. And when you're over there, if you're not already subscribed, hit the subscribe button so that you can get the latest shows delivered right to your iOS device. And, and then you can click on the rating and reviews and give us a star rating with the click of a button. And if you're inclined, we'd love a review too. Well, this does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I can't believe it. Uh, I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back next week for sure. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.